I believe that you're probably all familiar with the five love languages. Championed, I think, by, ooh, I should have written, by Gary Chapman. Okay. They are, these love languages are acts of service, gift giving, physical touch, quality time, and words of affirmation. Supposedly, each of us has a love language and we should try to discover uh, the other person's in our lives' love language. And, and perhaps there's some truth to this, but I don't know if you're like me, I'm pretty sure I respond to all five pretty well. In all, in all honesty, I, I love personally to give gifts. It's, I love to give gifts. It's fun for me to see the look of surprise on someone's face. And, but I think, I think um, as a father, I think this is really a father's heart towards his children to, to give good gifts. And this idea of the father's heart, a father's heart towards his children in good gifts is sort of at the heart of of what Luke means to, to teach us about the, the why of prayer at the very bottom, the, the motivation of prayer. Why can we go to God with this sort of bold, confident, shameless audacity and bring Him anything at any time, every one of us, with the promise that He hears? Well, that looks to be answered in our text this morning. This is a, I, can't, I can't tell you how important this passage is. These will be answered in verses 11 through 13. It's worth reading again. Let's read it. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Why do we pray? Why do you pray? Why do you pray with confident, bold, shameless audacity? Answer? Let's start with this. It's not about us in this passage. It's about God. Because of who He is, we come with the heart from last week's sermon. You're going to want to listen to it if you weren't here. Because of who God is, His character, first and foremost. And then based on who He is as Father, like God's glorious first and then our good, so is God first here in this passage. Who He is as Father, and then the, the joy of joy, the amazing reality that through the good news of the Gospel, we actually aren't enemies any longer, but we are sons and daughter and actually have a Father and are in relationship with Him. But that is secondary in this passage. It is God. To whom we will look in this passage. So there are two truths 
insert your own adjective, mind-blowing, incredible, all of which I erase because they don't work. We'll just say two truths in this passage that are intended by Jesus and Luke to give us fuel and motivation and confident, shameless audacity in our prayers to our Father. Number one. Number one, if you'd like to fill in the blanks, you can do that, kids. First, our earthly fathers give good gifts. First truth. Our earthly fathers give good gifts. How much more God? Verse 11. Now suppose one of you fathers, we're going to have this memorized by the time we're done, is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or... If he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Let's stop there. Let's, let's do some hard things together. We're going to use our imagination. We can't read too quickly. This is a really shocking couple of questions and word pictures that Jesus gives when you slow down a bit. Uncomfortable. So if you have children, if you know children that you are helping others raise up and you love them, you like to give gifts to them and be with them and take them out to eat, this passage will resonate with you. More than likely, if you have children, you've given them gifts. It kind of works you know, the week before Christmas. You've probably asked them maybe what they wanted or they probably asked you more than likely for some things and you've responded to them asking, Daddy, uh, I'm hungry. When are we going to eat? Can I have a piece of toast? And, you know... Decent dad, and sure, let's, let's have some toast, and he throws a little apple butter on it for good measure. Right? Dad, my basketball shoes are too tight, and my toes are crunched up in the front. Well, maybe not as easy as the toast, but can we go shopping for some new, shirt, new shoes? Sure. But if you're going to buy Air Jordans, you're, we're going halfies on this deal. <laughs> the son wants to eat a fish. He's not asking for a Lamborghini. He wants an egg. He wants a fish. Can you relate to that, children of God? These are basic needs to sustain your life and we have needs to sustain our life. We have needs to sustain our physical life. We have needs to sustain our emotional life. We have needs to sustain our spiritual life. Can you imagine the kind of father whose son is hungry 
And he asked his father for a fish that he might eat and be nourished. And he holds out his hand. And his dad says, Surprise! And slaps a poisonous asp in the hand of his son. Which bites the child over and over and over again. And that child screams in abject terror and surprise and betrayal. That's the picture of this passage. It's a bait and switch. It's a betrayal of your boy. Or, your son asks for an egg. A basic, nice, decent, hard-boiled egg. Daddy, I'm hungry. Can I have an egg? But his father, with a sneaky smile, says, Son, hold out your hand. I've got a surprise for you. My dad's going to give me an egg, with a, maybe with a little seasoning on it. Instead, he slaps in your hand one of those small scorpions, the poisonous ones, with the nasty-looking tail. And the scorpion tail strikes the boy's hand over and over again as he screams in abject terror. That is the picture, unfortunately, that Jesus is creating. He's quite the wordsmith. Can you imagine such a father? No, be honest. I don't even think Hitler would do this. I think the Taliban would show more tenderness. As Hughes notes, these pictures, I think he's right, paint a picture of treachery. Now, I'm not going to go here, but if you did go back to Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, it's weird that Luke, interesting that Luke mentions snakes and scorpions in the context of the Spirit. Just a chapter earlier. I'm not going to set this, but the emphasis there is really in the demonic and in spiritual protection. I think the heart of this passage is the most important issue of all for us. These are spiritual Issues. And so Jesus asked these rhetorical questions. And we are to think that even we as fathers, we're not like this. We're not treacherous. And we know how, don't we? To give good gifts to our children. And now Luke is going to argue from the lesser fathers to the greater fathers in verse 13. If you then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now notice that Jesus and Luke just call the twelve disciples who are believers, who are ministering, and now even helping to equip 70 others to minister. He calls them, you being evil. Theologians call this total depravity. We're evil. And there's no explanation. There's no apology here. And so I'm not going to explain and, and, and apologize for it. I won't be doing the authorial intent of this passage. But it's interesting. 
if you being evil haven't figured out how to give good gifts to your children. I'm always surprised, however, just a side note, that people are surprised when people just have stolen their purse. One time I was at a Christian camp at Northland playing basketball. I took off my Swiss Army watch that I just got for graduation, put it off to the side so I could play basketball. Like 50 feet away, I got done. It was gone. And I, I guess I was woke up. Wait, if you being evil, total depravity. I like what Davis says, quotes, the way Jesus simply assumes even his disciples' natural sinful nature is all the more telling in that it comes up merely as an aside, end quotes. We are evil fathers and we know how to give good gifts to our children. Now, we could, you know, mitigate this and talk about, yes, we have the image of God and it's marred and we have the Spirit and we're... Yes, but understand... You don't have life all figured out. We, this is what Jesus says about us. Praise God for the Gospel. If This is the baseline. But still, if us being evil know how to love our children and have a sense of responsibility to care for our children and there's a tenderness with our children, even evil fathers know this and feel this and we would never be treacherous towards our children. I mean, this year my granddaughter Elsie turned one years old. And all of the aunts and the uncles and the grandmas and the grandpas, which I can't believe, grandfathers and the great grandfathers and grandmothers and nieces and, I mean, uncles and aunts and all of that. And of course, Abby and Max showered her with good gifts. And she was a little taken aback by all of that. And she had a cake and it was this beautiful cake with this frosting on it and there were blueberries around it. I couldn't wait to videotape her just digging in and smashing it all over her face, but no. One blueberry at a time, <laughs> neatly eating around the cake. Would my daughter say, ah, ha, ha, let's just, let's get her all, let's get her all, you know, mature here, learn to handle disappointment in life, and let's put some dirt in that cake. Give her a real surprise. Absolutely not. I mean, it was over the top. Even evil parents, I'm not sure sometimes how that flies. My son-in-law Max, he's a great guy, but I got good theology. Even Max, being evil, knows how to give good gifts to Elsie. Earthly fathers know how to give good gifts. How much more our Father in Heaven, does the text say know how to give good gifts to us? No. It doesn't say a knowledge of God. How much more might He give good gifts to us? Does it say that? How much more, what does the text say? Will He give good gifts. This is a promise. This is the foundation of prayer. This is the why of prayer. This is why we have confident, shameless audacity. It's that confident, bold, shameless audacity is based on the character of 
God and our identity as sons of the Most High God. It's based on that identity in who He is. Fathers were evil, and we know how to get good gifts. God is not evil. In Him there is no darkness of all. There's no shadow or shifting change. He's a perfect wisdom. He is faithful. He is kind. He is compassionate. He is available. We learned last time. He is approachable. He is sovereign. But He doesn't exercise His sovereignty as some sort of a transcendent monster. He exercises His sovereignty as a Father in wisdom and tenderness and nearness. This is the truth about our God that is the foundation for our prayers. And only secondarily, and believe it or not, you have been grafted in, united to Him and pulled into His family as a son or daughter. So, when you ask for an egg, he, God, on the authority of the Scripture, God will never give you a scorpion. On the authority of Scripture, when you ask for a fish, He would never give you a snake. That's just not the heart of our God. That's just not the character of our God. He's not going to double-cross you. As one pastor said, if even sinful fathers for all their short-sightedness, meanness, and selfishness can get it right and don't play cruel games with their kids, how much more can you rely on your Father in heaven? He goes on to say, your Father won't double-cross you. He doesn't analyze the grammar and requests in your prayers, looking for loopholes in order to play pranks on you. You can come to pray assuming the willingness of God and the trustworthiness of God. Okay. What about the elephant in the room? Right? Or should I say, what about the snake and the scorpion in the room? What about the trials and circumstances in your life that are just plain horrible in light of this passage? What about that budget that will not balance ever? What about that marriage that is just so difficult? Maybe even on the verge of ending. What about that besetting sin that you just can't get victory over? What about that recent diagnosis of cancer? Or the death of your child? All the unmet expectations of this life. Unbelievable. All of the pain and the loneliness. And if you're looking at this passage, you're saying, He gave me a snake. He gave me a scorpion, and it stung me time and time again. Time and time again. I mean, I'm right with you. I've said to God, why? Why COVID? 
and now this, and then this. Especially when we pray and we plead with God and it just doesn't seem to get the answer that we would like. A passage like this doesn't make sense and it seems, and is anybody with me, that sometimes we're even afraid to pray. It seems like God has given us a sovereignty scorpion, a sovereignty snake yet again. Am I being punished for something? Is this just the heavy hand of God? I'm with you in the trenches struggling to believe this passage just like you. But at the end of the day, it's going to take faith to believe this passage and not the sight of our circumstances. We're going to have to have faith in the character of God to believe this passage. That God is perfectly trustworthy and tender towards His children. That He's not a sovereign tyrant. That He's a loving Father with wisdom and oversight and tenderness and trustworthiness in our lives for our good. Now, it's going to take faith to believe certain things, child of God. Now, I admit if we're going to read this snake and scorpion passage as pure physicality and our own circumstances and what they feel like, that, we're, that it's not going to make sense. But the text even gives some indication that God, that God is up to something better than is defined by our sight in the called out ones. Something great, something glorious, and the thing that we actually desire at the very root of our being more than anything else. It's going to take faith to believe that Romans 8.28 is true. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And what is the good in that passage? He causes all things, every circumstance, to work together for our good, and that is to be conformed into the image of His Son. We're evil fathers. We still have the marred image. But we, amazingly, as sons, God is doing a work in us, and we are being transformed. We are being conformed into the image of His Son from glory to glory. Sin is releasing its ugly grip on us, being pulled out, and we're being purified. The proof of faith is coming to, to the surface, and we are becoming more and more like Him. We, we are children of God right now, and yet it, will, it has not been what we will be. When we see Him, we will get our wish. The very thing we desire more is we will be like Him, just as He is. No more sin. No more struggle. Physicality. A new heavens and the new earth. With jobs and houses and occupations and thinking and growing in truth and real relationships without fail forever and ever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. We just desire the wrong things. We can't see 
What's good? I can't see what's good. I can't. I need you. We need the Word. It's going to take the gift of faith, is what I'm saying. Like George Mueller. Anybody know George Mueller? George Mueller a man known for his dependency upon God and prayer. Such incredible answers to prayer in his life and his journal recorded as he ministered as a preacher and pastor in many different churches and especially the development of orphanages to serve children to bring them the gospel back in the 1800s. George Mueller, look him up. George Mueller was married to his wife of 39 years and she died of rheumatic fever. And he was left, he was left alone. To minister. Many incredible stories of answered prayer for George Mueller over his life. Last second provision of bread and milk for hundreds of hungry orphans. Story after story of God's faithfulness could be told, but God did not answer the prayer to heal George Mueller's wife. He didn't. Mueller preached her funeral sermon from Psalm 119. Verse 68 in the King James, Thou art good and doest good. Mueller was a man of, Mueller said, this is what the text says. This is who my God is. I will believe it. I will hold on to it. He said after Mary's death, I bow I am satisfied with the will of my heavenly Father. I seek by perfect submission to His holy will to glorify Him. I kiss continually the hand that has afflicted me. Without an effort, without an effort, my inmost soul habitually joys in the joy of that loved departed one. Her happiness gives joy to me because she's with the presence of the Lord. My dear daughter and I would not have her back were it possible to produce it by the turn of the hand. God Himself has done it. We are satisfied with Him. In quotes. This is faith. This is faith. This is a call to have faith, to see that God is a good Father, that all of the things in our lives are, that we think are meant to spiritually harm us, like, this circumstance or that circumstance. God allows these circumstances to conform us into the image of His Son, to purify us, to prepare us, to make us more like Jesus, to experience Him, to prepare us, to build kingdom citizens as we live it out now and we live it out in the millennial kingdom and the new heavens of the new earth. He's doing something big to produce in us something that we most desire, that we often forget. And we need to have faith to believe it. That our Heavenly Father will never betray us. And that leads me to the second truth. Our Heavenly Father gives the greatest gift. What is this gift? Or I have to say, who is this gift? Now watch this. This is going to bring this together. This will be new. It was to me. The great, verse 13, If you being, then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In the answer to our prayer, sometimes in the midst of 
circumstances that are not taken away to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, He gives us the greatest gift, the Holy Spirit. The ultimate answer to our prayers is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hallowed be Your name. May the fame of Your name be set apart among the nations and Your kingdom come. And you think about as people, even now, we in this church, in this neighborhood, we are called to participate, to live and to, to live and to speak forth the gospel. How will that prayer request be answered? God will do it. He'll do it through His people too. How will we proclaim? How will we live it out? Only through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or, give this, this day our daily bread. How will we come to a place of humble dependence upon God where we see striving and know that He was God and recognize that we need to ask daily and that we're in desperate need, and that when we work, we work by His power. How will we know those great truths that would cause us to pray according to His will only if we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit? Or how in the world will we recognize that there's horizontal broken relationships within our life that need to be repaired, or even a grieving of the Holy Spirit of God and a breaking of our fatherly fellowship with our God because of our sin, to see our sin, to be convinced of it, and to recognize that we need to go to our Heavenly Father and ask for forgiveness and restore the joy of our salvation and bring it together, if not for the gift of an answered prayer for the Holy Spirit of the living God. Or, how will we know if we're in a situation that could in one sense be a temptation into oblivion, but another sense is a test by God to have faith? If not for the Holy Spirit causing us to place our eyes upon Jesus and remember the precious truths of God's protective power in our lives, the Holy Spirit is underneath the what? He's underneath the how. He is the great answer to our prayers. What do I mean? Well, I think that maybe in our circles we've minimized the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so let's be reminded. You are illumined by the Holy Spirit to see the glories of Christ in the Scripture. It's through the Holy Spirit. You experience the fellowship of sufferings with the risen Christ. It's felt and experienced through the Holy Spirit. And our Father knows how to give the gift of Himself through the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's unpack why Luke brings up the Holy Spirit here. Let's trace this a little bit. Get ready. What does this mean? How glorious is it? Well, let me just make some clarity here. I can't go into this, but you need some help. So, And I do too. I thought they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Absolutely not. The Old Testament saints had the Holy Spirit. Not in the same way the New Covenant people do, but the Holy Spirit was with them and certainly caused regeneration and ongoing sanctification. What, did they pull themselves up by their bootstraps? No, 
He's, he, these were born-again Christians. The Spirit was with them, but would soon be in Pentecost in them, in the indwelling, where the, 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 the resurrected Christ, the Messiah, would dwell in them. It's a, it's a level of categorical improvement in the new covenant. And guess which covenant you're under? The Holy Spirit was promised in Ezekiel 36 verses. Write these references down as I go quickly. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. That's a promise of the new covenant. And then in Luke chapter 3, verse 15. We pick up Luke's big theme of the Holy Spirit in his writings. Luke Acts. Verse 15, Now while the people were in a state of expectation, and all were wondering in their hearts about John the Baptist, as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And just in the context, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it's kind of an interesting passage. When the days were approaching for His ascension, He was determined to go to Jerusalem. So Luke is saying, I'm going to talk about this whole complex. He's going to go to Jerusalem, die upon the cross, seal our exodus, but this whole event of His death, burial, resurrection, don't, don't hold me, Mary. Don't hold me. And His ascension and His seating at the right hand ends with the pouring forth of the Spirit of the living God in the birth of the church. And so Luke brings that up by a connection of the ascension in Luke 9.51. And so that makes sense of the emphasis at the end of Luke. Luke 24, verse 45 says this. Luke 24, 45, and he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins. CE our class, there's another one. Repentance, what? For the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of My Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And that then brings us to our Scripture reading that Jeremy read. Take your Bibles and I want you to turn to this place. And I want you to see this in Acts chapter 2. And I want you to find Luke's second volume, Acts chapter 2. And I want you to find verse 25. Which is going to be an extended quote of David in Psalm 16 talking about Jesus. Now, in Acts chapter 2, you remember what happened. The Holy Spirit fell on the believers that were gathered in the upper room and they were devoting themselves to prayer when this happened. And there was a noise from heaven and there was a violent rushing wind and the whole house was filled by the sound and of the wind and there appeared to them tongues as of fire falling from heaven. 
distributing themselves and resting on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter is filled with power for preaching of the Word of God. And he begins to preach in Acts chapter 2, which was read today, was his sermon right at the point of Pentecost. And this sermon is an amazing exposition really of the Old Testament Scriptures, especially Psalm 16, that predicted the death and resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Jesus, and then the pouring forth of the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll see that phrase used time and time again. The best gift of all and the answer to all of our prayers at the very bottom of it is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Such a good gift. How good is it? Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 25. What do you really want, believer? What do you really need? I saw the Lord always. Anybody need that? In my presence. You want to be in the presence of the Lord? He, for He is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. He's the, at the he's at your right hand, the place of protection, the place of power. I don't need to be shaken. Therefore, my heart was what? Glad. Where do you think the gladness comes from? The joy of the Lord is my what? Strength. It comes from an answer to the request of the gift of the Spirit. And my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will what? My flesh which may be riddled with cancer, will live in what? Hope. How? In answer to our shameless, audacious, bold, confident prayer for the very thing we want the most. This! This! Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One, a technical term from the Messiah, picked up from the previous revelation, you will allow your Holy One to undergo decay. So, I am not the ultimate Messiah. I am in His line and I point to Him. He will, he will never undergo, to, undergo decay. I, in hoping in Him, my soul too will live in hope, David says. And you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. This is through the death, burial, resurrection. Is that it? Not in this passage. The ascension, the seating, and the pouring forth of the Spirit of the living God for power and hope and boldness and presence in the finished work of the Son of God for our lives. What a gift. The thing we most desire. The thing we most seek. Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Oh, the Great Commission. Jesus says, And lo, I am with you all the day, even to the end of the age. How is that present? In the person of His Holy Spirit. We have joy and gladness and salvation and we live in hope associated with the presence of Christ through the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. That makes some sense of why Jesus said, hey, you want me to go. You really do. What? How could that be possible? We're sad about it. Don't let your heart be troubled. You want me to go. John 14 through 16. It's all about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Much in that detail. Let me give you some references. Just watch this. We don't have time to look for everything. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper. Helper. That He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. That's the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. Anybody lonely? Anybody alone? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How will Jesus come to you? In the person of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the risen Christ. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Verse 26 of John 14. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The Holy Spirit brings the truth of the Word of God and teaches us all things about our great salvation in Jesus Christ. I know this was technically about the apostles and the gift of divine revelation to write the Scriptures, but the principle is true for us today too. As His ongoing disciples, the illumination of the Word of God to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and to be transferred from glory to glory into His image is a ministry of the Holy Spirit to whom God gives His children. It's incredible. Boy, are we excited about this? Okay. Remember what we said about these prayer requests? And the, Really, the essence of all prayer in, in this was like, Lord, what? Help. Lord, help. What is the answer to the prayer for help except for the one whose name is Helper? Chapter 16 and verse 8. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And He, when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 13 of chapter 16, but when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. In fact, these pathetic prayers that we offer as fallen people, Romans 8.26 says, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. He even makes our prayers good. And this makes up of what Paul says on the theme of the Spirit. Take your Bibles and we'll end with this. Our time is up. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm not, I didn't finish today. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14. Now watch the in light of what we've said. Please hear these words. Ephesians 3.14 says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. What is that? That's prayer. Right? From whom 
every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. That's what Paul prayed for. The gift of the Spirit to strengthen us. We're not done. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you then, right, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the, and the, and the length and the, the height and the, the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Brothers and sisters, is God able to answer this great desire of your heart as a believer? How much percent of the time will He do it? I want to know. 100%. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will... What are we looking for? As sons of the Most High God with Father, we are looking for the gift of the Holy Spirit to bring us these things. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly. He actually puts some stuff on the egg, maybe even some hot sauce. Abund all that we ask or can even think according to the, watch this, according to the power that works within us. What's, who's that? The Spirit. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.